You're listening to the brand new single Machina by the Darling Fire off of their upcoming album Distortions. Now, the Darling Fire is, I guess you could say, a supergroup of sorts featuring members of Further Seems Forever, Shai Halud, As Friends Rust, and Rocking Horse Winner. Distortions is set to release on September 16th via our buds at Iodine Recordings. And speaking of buds, this record is now up for pre-order with our friends at Northern Scene. If you're in Canada and if you're in the States, you can grab it from Deathwish uh, or just head to iodinerecords.com. The vinyl is available on ghostly white with black and blue splatter and bone white variants. Pick up the record on its own or you can grab yourself a merch bundle and look sharper than all your friends. Unless, of course they grab themselves a bundle too. Then you'll all look just as sharp as each other, which I think is, you know, it's pretty great. Uh, if you're ordering from our buds at Northern Scene, our regular promo code of growing up isn't available on pre-orders, but you could make your own bundle of sorts and save 15% on some vinyl that is currently in stock. So of course that's at northernscene.net using the promo code growing up at checkout or uh, click the link in our show notes. But as I mentioned, doesn't work on pre-orders, just currently uh, stuff that's in stock. So you're going to want to get it. I know I know you want to get it. You want to get it. Who doesn't want it? Yeah, you, you want it. You, you, know, you, you know you want it. iodinerecords.com, uh, northernscene.net as well. with everything we do and writing is one of those things like we'll have a date on the calendar from when we start in the studio and we'll be like writing two weeks before that being like crap we're going to the studio we really got to write something Welcome to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name is David, my friend is Aaron This week's episode is a big one Aaron had the chance to chat with Alan Day of Four Years Strong about his five favorite tracks from the band. Now, if by chance, you know, you're living under a rock or whatever, you know, maybe your excuse and you have no idea who Four Years Strong is, never heard the name before. They're a pop punk band from Massachusetts as uh, one of the pillars of the easy core scene of the 2010s. They have been crafting some of the greatest anthems of the past 15 to 20 years or so. And in this conversation, they talk about their unique songwriting style, many miles spent on the road, evolving their sound, and of course, the stories behind five of Alan's favorite four-year strong songs. Before we get into it, just a little bit of housekeeping. Go follow us on uh, social media, Instagram and Twitter, at Growing Punk Pod is where you will find us. Uh, you can also find us on Patreon if you want to throw a couple bucks a month our way. Two bucks for general support helps keep the lights on. I think that's what the saying is. Helps pay the bill, whatever. You know how, how it works. If you like what we're doing and you got a couple bucks a month you can spare to buy us some coffees or whatever, that's cool. We love you for it. We've also got merch. If you want to grab yourself a T-shirt, maybe a mug, maybe a sticker, whatever, those are all linked in the show notes as well. And, of course, wherever you're listening to the show, make sure you subscribe, you tell your friends, you rate it, you review it, that kind of stuff. Just do whatever you can to help the show grow. We appreciate you so much, and we appreciate it when uh, you help spread the word a little bit. All right. 
I'm going to quit wasting your time. You've waited long enough. This is Aaron and Alan Day sharing the stories behind five of his favorite strongs. Strongs. I said it. Five of his favorite songs from 40 Years Strong. So one of the things that, that immediately stood out to me, and I'm sure many others when I first heard you guys, it was the dueling vocals. You know, while many bands may have dueling vocalists or even shared vocals, you guys somehow managed to do this in a way that feels so cohesive and energetic and keeps a good flow, which I think can be you know, pretty challenging at times. So my question to start is, you know, besides both you and Dan being you know, obviously talented vocalists, how did you guys figure this out at the start, and how has that dynamic continued to, to grow and expand? Well, it's kind of a funny story, I guess, because neither of us wanted to be the singer of the band. Um, it kind of happened. It kind of just happened because, I mean, we went through a lot of members in the early days, like back in 2001 through 2004, um, where like we had, we always had a singer. So it was this one guy, Teddy, and then it was this one guy, Brian, and then, um, and then at one point I became the singer and we got a guitar player and I just sang and I didn't play guitar. Fast forward a little bit, we were about to play a show and the guitar player, we were practicing the morning of the show, the guitar player at the time, his name was John, he just like literally in the middle of practice put his guitar in his case and walked out the door without saying a word. Wow. And we just knew like, oh, he just quit. But we have a show tonight, so... I knew how to play all the songs on the guitar, so I just played, and me and Dan were kind of just like, all right, I guess we'll kind of like split vocal duties since I have to like sing but also play guitar. We'll just kind of figure it out in real time. And we did, and I'm pretty sure that was the start of it. It was just like, we just never got another singer after that, and we just didn't feel like looking for another guitar player, and it just kind of stuck. <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. I was actually just listening to uh, the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast this week, and uh, uh, I'm blanking on, on who he was talking to, but he was saying like 90% of the singers that he talks to say like they weren't singers or they're not singers or they didn't think they were going to be singers, so that's so funny that that's kind of the first thing that, that you mentioned. Yeah, we, we actually did that with Shane um, a few years ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's awesome. So that's, So how did, you know, like those first few times... Like, you just kind of realized you had a voice, or you just kind of like forced yourself into that, or how did, you know, for how well it works, it seemed like there had to be some, like, you know, either vocal training or past something. Well, Dan and I have always sung together, like, in high okay. school. We were in, in, like, choir groups in school together. Um, and we like even when we had singers, we would be writing songs and you know singing them and doing backup vocals and stuff like that. Um, 
but keep in mind we were very not good then yeah (laughs) (laughs) and not to say that we're any good now but we were very not good then um and there are recordings out there to prove it and and me and dan or dan and i's voices were very very different from each other Mm. at like when we first started his was really high he he was always trying to sound like i don't know if you remember the band fairweather yep oh yeah that was like a huge influence when we first got started and it was like you know that really high-pitched clean voice yeah for sure that's like what dan was where i like wanted to be like adam lazara from taking back sunday just like kind of sloppy but like amazing <laughs> and, and just like all vibe no not all not like super pristine um we just had like totally different things and honestly i, I describe it now because if you listen to like newer four years strong or really anything on the last few albums i feel like you can't tell the difference you can't you can't hear who's singing what because i describe it like we're like an old married couple you know how they say married couples start to like look the same and act yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how we are we just started to sound the same over the years and especially because most of the time we're both singing at the same time so even when we're switching back and forth we do each other's harmonies. So if Dan's singing the lead vocal, I'm like on the album, I'm singing the harmony and vice versa. If I'm singing the lead, he's singing the harmony. So pretty much 100% of the time you're hearing both of us singing. So then it just kind of blends into you don't know who it is. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean that's great that it complements each other so well like that because it could easily throw it off more if you know you're both singing and you know one was off or something yeah so do you ever have like how does how does that not get mixed up you know especially live when you know you're focusing on the crowd and the energy and playing guitar and singing do you sometimes oh, just catch yourself being like oh i'm totally not singing my part right now yeah oh that, yeah. that happens. <laughs> not so much on older stuff it's like muscle memory is is strong with yeah. us you know that's that's how we get through but like anytime we're working on new music new songs live yeah it's and you know we have a lot of times i mean this is just like songwriting 101 but like verse two will be similar melodies to verse one but with different lyrics and we switch back and forth so whoever starts the verse if you sing the wrong words the whole verse is screwed because i hear the wrong words and all of a sudden i think i'm in verse one and then he goes off of what i'm singing and then yeah oh we definitely we definitely messed that stuff up. Yeah, well, respect to you guys for I mean being able to pull that off because that's a lot to, you know, to take in and put together, especially in that live setting, right? When you kind of have your nerves and you know feeding off the crowd and all that as well. And what's really cool about that, you know, going back to what you said when you kind of first, um, you know, started singing together is it's just cool when you're sometimes just thrown into a situation how you kind of figure it out or you realize like, oh, okay, I do have this skill, you know, whether it's vocals or, you know, construction or there's all these different things. And that's my, that's, that's like my entire life. I've never actually learned how to do anything. I just kind of figure it out half-assed and then just do that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, thankfully, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm the same, you know, whether it's being a dad and just, 
not knowing what to do or you know, like lots of different things in that regards. But I feel, yeah, I guess some things just come naturally to some people and others, they can do it just as well, but it doesn't come naturally to kind of have a, to put a bit more into it. And yeah. so, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Do you, do you remember if there was any specific bands or albums that kind of helped to shape your view of like what a, what a vocalist could be either, you know, a single vocalist or dueling vocals? Well, I mean, when we f- were first getting started, Take a Mac Sunday was for sure mm. a a huge influence because of the dueling vocal and because of the microphone swinging and swoopy hair and and girls jeans. Um, that those were all huge influences on us when we were first getting going. But like, man, I mean, I liked all kinds of singers. I mean, well, again, when we first started, it was like we were we were kind of really trying to replicate what we were inspired by like in the really early days and i hate to say this out loud but you can find it all on youtube because we made the mistake of having the same band name from the day we started until now which means dating back to 2001 when we wrote our first songs and we were like we really want to sound like take it back sunday you can hear the take it back sunday song or we really want to sound like further seems forever you can hear that song that sounds Mm -hmm like further seems forever or we we love saves the day you can hear that saves the day song and and newfound glory and um all that and then when we started to realize that we could be like we wanted to bring something more unique to the table that's when we started to like because i guess i'm going on a tangent but dan dan was in a hardcore band before four years strong and I was in a pop punk band and Dan and one of his bandmates at the time wanted to start like a pop punk emo band. And he was like, oh, well, my brother and his some of his friends, because the bass player, his his brother was um, the singer at the time. Um, so we, we joined up and we just kind of did the pop punk thing. And I think at some point we were like, well, let's bring some of that heavy stuff back into the mix. And, you know, I... I loved that stuff as well, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's yeah, and I guess part of you know when you're starting a band, you're taking influences, you're trying to figure out what you can add to it, and sometimes it takes a while to you know get to that point where it's like, okay, now we actually sound like who we are with some influences versus sounding like our influences with a little bit of who we are. Yeah, absolutely, and that's something that I mean, that's what makes music great, right? Is when you can take all these influences and smash them together into something kind of new and fresh. That's, I mean, that's what we were trying to do. Not that we accomplished it by any means, but. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in some bands it's, you know, it, it takes longer or, um, or some really like to stick, you know, close to those influences. And so it's, I mean, there's, there's no right or wrong in that, but I just, I always love just seeing how that dynamic kind of shifts back and forth. So kind of uh, taking it back a little bit, um, when Rise or Die Trying came out, you know, that was a pretty unique sound for the time. You know, there might have been a few other bands with a similar sound, but I feel like you guys had a lot of dynamics that really helped you to immediately stand out, you know, which is hard to say for a lot of bands. And so I'm curious what ideas, concepts, or thoughts kind of what went into how you guys would sound um, on that album. Man, I mean, again, that was that was our first real full-length album 
so it was basically just a compilation of all our favorite songs that we'd written up to that point. Um, so there was a lot of influence there. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the biggest things probably being like, like if I could boil it down to its simplest form, it was like saves the day in hate breed, mm. <laughs> you know? And like, yep. I mean, a million other things, but like we really loved like, you know, the pop punk stuff with like a hardcore background, like saves a day and newfound glory and all that stuff. And, and then like hardcore bands, like hate breed converge suicide file, like American nightmare. I don't know bands, all these like Boston bands that we kind of grew up seeing. And, uh, and I don't know, there was so much other stuff in there. I mean, I think, I think that was in a stint where we were listening to like Panic at the Disco too. Mm -hmm. So like the fast vocal thing was was popular and we, everything was a tongue twister. And oh man, I mean, we were listening to a lot. I mean, I remember like, do you know Imogen Heap? Yeah, I'm not like super familiar with them, yeah, but yeah, I definitely know, know the name. Like we, I know me and Dan were obsessed with that album. Um, what was it called with hide and seek on it? And like, while we were making that, while we were making rise are trying, that was like a big thing we were listening to at the time. Um, and that's kind of what we've, we've always done. I mean, on the surface, it was those pop punk and hardcore influences, but it was always a lot more than that. Um, you know, outside the box stuff. And I think I like to think that's what made it stand out to people was that it wasn't just, a carbon copy of whatever we were listening to at the time, but it was like all those little bits of weirder stuff that was outside the box that was bleeding into what we were doing. Um, and that's what I strive to always do when I'm writing music is take things from outside the box and incorporate it into what we're doing and see if it can work in some weird way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think you guys do that really well. And we'll, we'll touch on that a bit later. Uh, some of the things I remember that stood out to me, you know, was just, you know, the fast double kick, the really fast, you know, like guitar riffing or palm muting parts, which was, you know, kind of a bit different than what some of the other bands were doing at the time. You know, even if, when I think of, you know, like a day to remember, they kind of had the pop punk heavy, but it was a bit more kind of segregated in parts, whereas you guys kind of melded it all kind of together and you had the keyboards back then and it just kind of had such a unique sound. And I, I mean, I think that's why it stuck and, and uh, people really kind of grabbed onto that. Yeah. We always, we always had this, this term that we tried to keep things away from, which is the, the, the music feeling schizophrenic, right? Where it's like, here's this pop punk song that all of a sudden goes hardcore right yeah. there, you know, like, like, somehow trying to bleed it all together where like yeah sure the bridge is the heaviest part and that's the only time we're screaming so it does like do a little flip there but we are doing heavy chugged guitars and double kick syncopated stuff within the verses and the choruses and so it wasn't all just in one place it was kind of scattered throughout yeah yeah and i think that kind of helped it to 
to maybe stand out a bit more, even have a bit more longevity just because it's not just kind of stuck in a, a certain style or, or even era, so to speak. But yeah, so you guys have covered so much ground in your time as a band, you know, whether that's extensive touring, experimenting with different sounding albums, a covers album, different record labels. When you look back at your time with the band, what are some of those kind of out there standout moments? You know, I'm sure there's lots and maybe they run together, but I always love hearing about the moments that help to kind of shape people's memories. And uh, yeah, so if you could share maybe a few of those, um, that would be really cool. Like like good memories? Or bad? Yeah, well, I, I guess whatever memories have kind of helped shape your you know, your time in Four Year Strong. I mean, yeah, maybe good ones where maybe you're, you know, you're standing on a stage or something that's like, man, like, okay, we're actually here right now. Or I guess it could be the opposite of like, oh, dang, we're here right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I do have one that's always stuck with me um, where it, I was on tour and I was in the green room kind of waiting to play. And I was watching um, that Foo Fighters documentary came out. It was back and forth, I think it was called. Oh, yeah. So... It, and that came out and I was just watching it backstage and, you know, I kind of like took myself out of real life and I was just like in this documentary and just watching it. And, man, that's so cool. Like kind of forgetting where I was, I was like, man, I wish that was my life, you know, like this shit's so cool. And then someone's like, all right, we got to go, we got to go play. And I'm like, oh shit. All right. And then I walk out and we were in London on tour with Blink-182 playing the O2 Arena wow. in front of freaking like almost 20,000 people. And I walk on stage and I was like, oh, that was pretty cool. I was watching yeah. this thing <laughs> and wishing that that was like my life and kind of forgetting that kind of in some small way it is. So that was a real cool, cool moment. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, when you can correlate your dreams with reality, that's a pretty, uh, pretty special thing. Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I like, I mean, grass is always greener, right? I've there's been so many times in, in the band's career where we're on tour and we all hate each other and wish we could go home and have a normal job. And then, you know, we're home for more than a, a few months and we're like antsy, like, what the hell are we doing here? We should be out on the road. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's anyone in a band will say that I'm sure it's it, yeah. the whole thing's bittersweet. Cause at the end of the day, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, you know? And it's, um, but sometimes, you know, it kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and that's why it's good to have those memories just to kind of bring you back. Be like, okay, like maybe this day wasn't so good or I'm not getting along with my friends. But, man, we got to play this like super cool show and people care about us. So let's, you know, it kind of maybe and, helps you to push through those times too. Yeah, and that that story that I told was at a, a really weird time in the band where like, we really did not like each other. And that mm. shortly after that was like, we basically broke up for a couple of years. Okay. Um, so I, I think that's why my brain, when I was watching the documentary, was like, man, I wish that's what it was like, you know, cause they're making it look so cool. And we were in such a weird place where like we had just put out an album that wasn't doing so well. And, um, and we all just like, kind of hated each other yeah 
Well, I guess it goes to show too, even when things are at their peak, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's all that like maybe it's cracked up to be, right? There's there's so many other dynamics that go on that as well. And so it's, you know, that that helps that memory to stand out, right? Maybe if things were perfect, you play that show, you might just think like, oh, that was an amazing show and you just kind of move on to the next thing. And But sometimes having those two different types of situations battling each other kind of help it to stand out, you know, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, there's there's lots of other stuff that we could cover, but yeah, for time's sake, uh, let's uh, let's move on here. Yeah, so I asked you to share five of your favorite songs from the Four Year Strong catalog. You said if you had your choice, you'd just pick five songs from the newest album, Brain Pain, which I totally understand. It's it's stupid how good that album is, and, and we'll talk about that in a bit here. But I am curious kind of how your relationship with past songs and albums has kind of changed over the years. You know, does does time help with that, or are there some you're just like, I don't even want to think or talk about that, or how do you kind of correlate all those ideas? Well, there's a there's a lot. There's like, there's there's songs that like as a band we kind of don't love playing just because we've played them for so long. Yeah, that's fair. Then when we're in the moment and playing it live. I at least personally, I forget that I don't like that. That I talk about not liking playing that song because it's amazing when you're on stage and people are reacting to the music you're playing. The ones I really don't like are the ones that are old. Okay, there's specifically one song that I really don't like playing, and it's a kind of a thing within the band where I'll like, oh no, and it's a song called "Beat Down in the Key of Happy." And it's on Rise or Die Trying. I don't really know why. I think it's just like this. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Because it's, honestly, it's kind of a fun riff to play. But I think it's, it's bigger than that. It's like that, that song stood for, because we went through a lot with the band, with writing music and like people expecting certain things from us. And we felt like, there was a period of time where we felt like that song was like, what was like this, like this little like snapshot of what people thought we were. And that's it. It was like this happy guitar riff. That's kind of metal with this break, this kind of cheesy breakdown. And, and like, and we always felt like, but that's not all we do. You know, there's so many more ingredients to the music we write. And we don't want to be, you know, boiled down to just those those couple ingredients um and then add into like we did the rise or die 10 year anniversary tour or 15 year i don't know what it was um i think it was 10 it was a 10 year anniversary tour and like we get to that song and really no one cares so it's like this thing where people people request it yeah but it was just like one or two people requesting it, but it sounds like everyone wants to hear it. And then when we play it, no one cares. And really people only care about the songs that have stood the test of time that we that stay in our set list, you know, year after year after year. Um, but anyway, that was a rant that had nothing to do with the question you asked. No, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's old songs that, like i mean heroes get remembered legends never die is a song that like is so boring to play on a from a from like an actual from the technical side of things you know it's just like 
I'm playing one note kind of a lot of the song. It's there's nothing particularly exciting about it. Um, and there are a couple guys in the band that are like, oh, I wish we could never play that ever again. But it's just such a staple in the live set. And like yeah. when people, when we play it live, there's just such like a reaction between the crowd and us that like, you know, you can't deny that. Where the other songs like Beat Down the Key of Happy, if we were to throw that into a random set, no question, it would be the low point in the set. And I don't know why, but that's just how it is. Yeah, well, there's lots, I guess, variables with those things. Yeah, does it ever happen where, like, maybe you're just, like, sitting around one day and you're, like, I don't know if you ever listen to your albums, or maybe a song comes on, you're like, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot about that one. one like, you know, where maybe it takes you back to a certain memory, or, um, yeah, I'm just always kind of interested to hear, you know, with, you know, whether it's artists or musicians, you know, when they kind of look back on their work, you know, some can kind of look at it and be like, yeah, you know, everything kind of had its time. It's kind of like looking on, you know, like old tattoos where it's like, right. you know, I wouldn't get that tattoo now, but I remember where I got it and why I got it. And so it means something to me. And sometimes I forget I haven't looking down. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, I don't love it, but it looks kind of cool and I'm glad yeah. I got it. Right. Like, so just, Yeah. The, the, only, the only thing that comes to mind is one time we were out on tour. So we put out an album called In Some Way, Shape or Form that just did not go well for a million reasons and we dropped from our label and like we all hated each other it was just like the perfect storm of 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 shit that happened with that album and the release and the rollout and everything but anyway fast forward a few years we're out on tour and like before a set we were on our bus thinking like man we should play more of those songs like it's 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 part of our discography like who because we never, we only play one song off that album, and only sometimes. Um, and we like put it on on the bus, and we started listening through it. And in that moment, we were like, "Oh wow, this isn't very good." We were like, "I, I think we're hearing right now mm. for the first time what people were hearing when it came out." Like something about it in that moment when we were listening to it felt like stale and and not really authentic. I, I don't know how to explain it, but um, it also could have been the bad taste in our mouth from from the whole experience living through what happened with that album. But yeah, um, but yeah, so we didn't end up playing any more of those songs. <laughs> yeah, and there's I mean, there's lots of things that go into it, right? Like it might not even be that it's a bad song, but maybe there's a bad memory tied to it, like you said, or you know, that's I mean, that's just life. You kind of lots of things in the moment seem seem cool, but you know, kind of given some time or perspective, then, then that can change. So, uh, yeah, well, let's uh, let's get into uh, some of these songs that you picked here. So the first one is off of Enemy of the World, which was released in 2010, and the song is It Must Really Suck to Be Four Years Strong Right Now. <laughs>
So this album had so much hype around it, you know, as well as anticipation for how your follow-up album to Rise or Die Trying would be. The song title is based on a comment made in, in a magazine, basically comparing you guys to set your goals in a way. Do you remember what the kind of the pressure was like um, writing and, and creating this album? I don't really remember it feeling like pressure at the time. It was it was just such a fun and exciting time in the band. We weren't quite jaded enough yet to be like, oh, we have to write music, you know. <laughs> it was it was still fun, and I don't think we really felt pressure because yeah, honestly, good. we were friends with Set Your Goals, yeah, at the time and, and and Day to Remember and all these bands that were kind of in similar circles, and there wasn't really like any feeling of competing or trying to beat someone or do anything like that. It was all just we we I, at 2010 I was. Frick, I don't even know. I think I was like twenty. Okay, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I didn't even necessarily mean like in, in comparison 20, to those bands, but twenty-three. Okay, yeah. So definitely pretty young. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, a, a second full length. You know, a lot had happened since your first album, and you guys had kind of blown up a bit. And and uh, yeah, I mean, some bands it just kind of comes naturally to to just write a new set of songs, or maybe you do feel that pressure, or where it's kind of like okay, like something could actually happen with us as a band or as our, in our career with this. And, you know, sometimes that gets to bands and sometimes that makes them write, you know, their best stuff. Yeah, we definitely work well under pressure. So maybe, maybe I'm just not remembering correctly and we were under a lot of pressure. Um, but that's just how we always work. I kind of said before that like, we're just procrastinators at every, with everything we do. And writing is one of those things. Like we'll have a date on the calendar for when we start in the studio and we'll be like writing two weeks before that, being like, crap, we're going to the studio. We really got to write something. Um, historically, that's how it's always been. But our last album, Brain Pain, was the kind of the first time in a long time, probably since uh, Enemy of the World, that we like wrote a lot and we were like really committed to like writing and trying new things and doing a bunch of stuff and but yeah otherwise we we just wait till the last second to do everything so maybe we were yeah like under a lot of pressure at the time because it did go well <laughs> yeah were were you kind of were you hoping to accomplish anything with this album you know besides trying just to make it better than the last album did you have any specific ideas with that or just kind of expanding the, the last yeah Oh man, I don't even freaking remember. It's so long ago. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I think we wanted the same as anyone else was to any any other band putting out their sophomore full length, you know, just like keep our fans that we had worked hard to make over the last handful of years, keep them excited about what we're doing and for it to not be feel stale and and like we did the same thing again while simultaneously opening up more doors to new potential listeners and um and honestly just make it fun and exciting for us like like we just we really feed off of playing music that we like yeah for you know? sure and i think that's why there was a weird period, you know, I always talk about the, the time that we hated each other and every band goes through that phase, but there was a phase for sure with the band where we were 
feeling like we had to do what people expected of Foyer Strong, but we didn't really want to do it. So it was like this weird, like internal battle always with what we wanted versus what we thought we should do. Right. But anyway, the world was great because we weren't there in our career yet. We were still only doing exactly what we wanted. And I think, I think that's what makes music work for a lot of people is authenticity and, and, with Rise and I trying and Enemy of the World specifically early in our career like that, we were just doing exactly what we wanted and that's it. With no no really like trying to fulfill people's expectations, maybe a little bit with Enemy of the World from what we had done with it, with Rise or Die, but we just wanted to have fun. Yeah. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about this song, It Must Really Suck. Uh, why is this one special or significant to you and what do you remember about writing this song? I remember I remember writing the riff and just feeling like excited about it because it didn't feel like anything else I had heard um and and yeah the whole song felt cool when we wrote it at the time and still I think it holds up kind of yeah <laughs> but it like yeah I think it had something to it because it felt like you know, I talk about what I don't like about Beat Down in the Key of Happy. I felt like it had the ingredients of what Beat Down, what made what Beat Down in the Key of Happy did have that was, you know, the major key scale metal riff kind of thing. But it had a lot more like at the time felt like maturity to it and the the, the melodic movements within it um, just felt like more exciting. Didn't feel as like, as like, boring pop punk. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, maybe, maybe even to a fault. Like listening back, sometimes I'm like, "Wait, there's so much going on. There's so many weird double kick patterns in the chorus, and like all this weird shit." Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that makes it stand out too. So sometimes it's, you know, kind of goes hand in hand. And maybe you felt like you kind of redeemed yourself a bit with this song, like you know, not liking the the beat down the key of happy, and now it's like, okay, let's let's try do this again. So where it is a song that I actually do like to play. Yeah, and it is still very fun to play. Like it's 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 a, another highlight in the live set. Um, I really think those are my favorite songs like of the old songs anyway is the ones that have have really stood the test of time live and like fucking go off every night because they're fun to play so again that the authenticity there i think always speaks volumes because i'm enjoying myself playing it you know and then the crowd is feeding off of me enjoying it so they're enjoying it and I'm feeding off of them and it's just like this kind of ongoing cycle. Yeah, and it must just be a good feeling too, knowing like, okay, this song's now, you know, twelve years old and it's still resonating with people and people still love singing along to it and I still love playing it and 'cause I I'm guessing that's you know, when you're writing songs, you know, you maybe maybe you're thinking about, okay, what's this gonna be like if I still have to play it in ten years, but I'm guessing it's more like okay, this this will be awesome to play for the next tour cycle or whatever. Yeah, you know, and, and you don't know until an album is released what songs are really going to resonate with people, and 
And so that's part of the the kind of I, I guess the juxtaposition with it is you know, you're writing something that sounds really cool now, but again, it's like, am I going to love this in ten years? Is this going to be a fan favorite? Or if it isn't, like, there's so much almost kind of out of your hands in, in some ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on to uh, the second song off of a self-titled album, which was released in 2015, or it's called Four Year Strong. I'm not sure if it's self-titled or, or called Four Year Strong, but yeah. One and the same. Yeah, the song is We All Float Down Here. So you guys followed up Enemy of the World with an album you know, that was a bit different and had mixed reviews, like you said, um, in all shape and form. Um, I, for one, absolutely love that album and was kind of bummed that fans weren't as into it. Um, you know, and I, like, like you that's said... What you, every, that's what everyone says now. Uh, no, dude, I, I bought that CD and I 
and I loved it. I mean, I, I loved your your band, and I, I loved the '90s influence kind of on it. And even though it was a bit slower, um, yeah, I, I was still super into it. I just listened to it recently, and I was like, man, this kind of sucks that you know it maybe didn't turn out how you had hoped. But I mean, that's just kind of how it goes with with music. But and uh, yeah, we don't necessarily need to to talk about that anymore. But what I am interested in is you know how an experience like that kind of affected you as a musician. You know, as someone who's creative and wanted to try new things. Kind of how does that affect your creativity when you you know pour time and energy into something that doesn't quite turn out how you want and now it's you know out in the world for everyone I mean it was just a weird time for the for the band in general to have to have gone through that and then have to dig ourselves out you know which we did put out before the self-titled album came out we did put out an ep um which is really what kind of dug it started to dig dig us out of the hole we had we had been in from in some way shape or form but it was such a learning experience like putting out in some way shape or form having it go to shit hating each other basically breaking up and staying away from it enough where like all of a sudden we had to like get jobs get real jobs and 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 life just felt to like scatter talk my wife will talk about like that period in my life of you know her getting home from work and me having not get out of my sweatpants and i've been sitting on the couch since she left haven't moved and or i'm trying out new hobbies because i'm like trying to fill this hole where this once was and um and then finally me calling dan or dan calling me i forget how it went and being like should we try and do this? I mean, we've been working at this for so long. And, and that was the beginning of the Go Down in History EP, which is what dug us out. And and I don't want to say fully that we just like, we're like, all right, let's just do what people want, you know? But it was a little bit of that. It was a little bit like, all right, we we, we what we did before was alienate fans. So how do we reverse that? And it's not that we did something we didn't want to do you know we did it in a way that we thought was cool but fast forward then to self-titled that's when we really started to try and like do more of what we wanted to do and and touch on other things and we all float was i guess the start of that as well you know just again, kind of return to form. That's what people called it at the time. Right. You know, fast guitars, riffy kind of stuff. But we were trying to do it in more of a way that we liked as musicians, you know? And if, man, we you can tell at the time. So that whole album, self-titled, was written in its entirety musically before a single lyric was even, even written. Wow. And, and we recorded the whole thing. So like we were in the studio finishing up guitars, tracking and Kurt, the guy who produced it, Kurt Ballou would be like, we start tracking vocals in five days. Have you guys written anything? I haven't heard a single vocal. I'll be like, ah, yeah, we'll do it. So me and Dan literally spent like five or six days all day, every day, staying up all night, like writing and writing and writing and writing. We wrote that whole record's worth of vocals in like less than a week. And it was terrifying and super stressful, but somehow ended up working out. And listening back and, you know, having to play those songs, you can tell because 
the guitars are like pretty complicated even when you think they're simple if you yeah. were to actually break down what it's doing it's doing something so more so much more complicated than it needs to be and then we wrote the vocals so then having to learn that stuff live oh man it was the worst yeah. but that one specifically <laughs> i guess i keep ranting but like no, i love on, it on on that song we all float um it's another one similar to it must really suck that's just like has become such a great song live and and like so still so fun to play because it is challenging and like like it's not super easy to play the while singing for a whole song like it's it's not super easy it's become i can go on autopilot a little bit once i'm into a tour but um i think the challenge is what makes it fun it was what keeps it exciting yeah, and did that not kind of cross your mind? So, you, I mean, you say you wrote all the music before vocals. You know, when you're coming up with parts like that, are you just kind of like, oh, this sounds really cool, and just kind of disregarding that, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have to sing over this, and I don't even have the parts. Like, how how does that, that – that kind of blows my mind to think of an album like that coming together without vocals because vocals are such a big thing in your band, like we talked about, and the and the melodies and the harmonies. Like, that's that's crazy that you guys can just, you know, spend five or six days and come up with all that. Yeah, it was it was awful. But um no, I don't know. I don't we would never ever say like, oh, that would be too hard to play live, so let's not do it. You know, like Yeah. We'll just say, Oh, we'll just <laughs> prep we'll just fucking figure it out. And sometimes it's it's turned into like a who oh, Dan, maybe you play this while I'm singing and or vice versa, you know. Right something really complicated but even that doesn't really happen anymore because you know we've kind of learned how to play and sing pretty well that it just takes it just takes practicing like if you play it enough times it becomes not so bad yeah and what was the vibe of the band like with writing this like you said you'd had a rough bit of time and then you know a break from each other what was what do you remember kind of about getting back together getting that energy back you know writing these songs how did that all kind of play together? You know, did it feel like you were kind of forcing anything or was it just like, all right, we got to just kind of get over that period of time and move forward with something that we're excited about? It was kind of a transition period because we still weren't as a, as a group, we weren't all, you know, a hundred percent in at the time. There was still some like, I don't know if tension's the right word, but there mm. there wasn't a whole lot of excitement um, from all of us. And, you know, I think it ended up going really well and it built the excitement back up and, and for, for everyone in the band. But at the time, like, you know, we knew we had to put out an album because we were, like, doing a tour or something. So, like, it was one of those, like, all right, we got to do something. So... Yeah it's got to be 10 songs. All right, great. So let's write 10 songs. We didn't write any more songs. There was oh, wow. no other demos. It was just those 10. And one of them was really bad. So much so that we recorded it, like all the music for it. And we're like, this sucks. But we already broke down the drums at the studio. So we weren't going to record drums. And then we just ended up re like basically rewriting new guitars and bass 
to the drums that existed already. Wow, that's a lot of work. Which was actually pretty a pretty fun challenge, and it ended up pretty cool. It ended up being the the opening track on the album. Oh wow. Well, that's that's cool. That's something that you know kind of didn't have much life in it can can be breathed into, and you know you spend enough time and creativity on it and and figure it a way out. So that's that's kind of cool. Now you have that memory, and and mm-hmm. that no one else has to hear. Uh, I guess how bad it was before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The the next song off this album you chose is "Go Down in History." The end of the 
Uh, so this had been released on the EP uh, previously before, like you said. And so this is the closing track on the album. I'm always interested to hear, you know, why bands pick the songs they do to end an album. So any kind of specific reasons for for picking this one as the closer? There is a specific reason, and it's not a good one. That's okay. Um, <laughs> so the album was supposed to be ten songs, and the sound sound of my heart, sound of your heart, whatever that. The song, song number 10 on that album was supposed to be the closer. And if you listen to it, it feels like a closer. It has this big ending and, you know, real epic kind of a thing. And then last minute we were like, we should put Go Down in History on it because it became kind of a staple in the set and it was only on the EPs. Yeah, so okay. we wanted to, like, you know, have it live on a little bit more. And we ran out of time in the studio to re-record it. So we didn't re-record it. Um, and then we were going to remix it so it sounded similar to all the other songs. And that didn't end up happening. So we just slapped it on the end of the album because we thought, like, sonically, because it's if you, if you actually listen, it's very different sounding. Like, the drums are completely different. You know, every, it's, everything's different. It's different drums, different guitars, different everything. That we thought it would be weird for a song randomly in the middle, middle of the album to sound different than all the other songs. Yeah. So we popped it on the end. <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh, so it's a really, really freaking lame story as to why it's... <laughs> Oh, but, that's cool. I'm going to have to go back because I don't know if I've noticed that before. So, yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, any any other thoughts uh, with that song? Well, that song is an interesting one because it was actually written to go on in some way, shape, or form, the oh, wow. album beforehand. But if you heard the original demo, you would have been like, what? It basically sounded like a U2 song. It was like oh, okay. all <laughs> reverbed out guitar. It was way slower. Um, everything but the chorus. So we had like the the whoa kind of thing and and the lyrics and melodies and chord progressions and everything of the verses and the pre-chorus and all that. That was all intact, but just like way simpler and not as like for your strongy. Um but we always loved the melodies and everything in it. But for some reason, it didn't make it on the album. And then we, it was just kind of in this bank of stuff we had. So we were like, let's let's like breathe some new life into that and make it like more of a punk song instead of like a killer's song or whatever it was at the time, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And it was a really fun thing to do, to take a song. Because... Again, I think that was the beginning of like uh, what I was saying about trying to find a way to do the Foyer Strong thing in a way that we really like, you know, as music fans, you know, because believe it or not, this day and at this point in our lives, none of us really listen to pop punk, <laughs> you know, yeah, like that's fair. Like I still uh, love it. <laughs> I, don't, I know. I don't know if it's just us being jaded and you know like that's our day job but yeah, like for sure it's like it's like everything else is what's fun and that's why we had written a song that wasn't like four years strong that was this totally different thing and again that's why it lived in this pile of demos that we never did anything with and we we're like well we really like this so how can we do it in a way that we like and our fans would like and that's when the you know 
double kick, da 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 ba doom da doom da doom and then guitar riffs and all that came. And uh yeah, it was it was a really fun song to kind of see come together. And we hated at one point the move your hands back and forth in perfect symmetry. Yeah. That lyric in the chorus was like a placeholder and we hated it. We felt like it was like this like I don't know, like Macarena kind of thing. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> you know, like it just felt it felt weird. Yeah. And when we were recording the vocals and we were like trying to come up with a new thing, Machine, the guy, the the producer that recorded it was like, are you freaking kidding me? You can't get, that's the best part. You can't get rid of that. And so we rolled with it and everyone in the band hated that lyric for whatever reason. Um, but it's, again, it, he was right and it holds up and it's a great moment live. Everyone sings it. Um, and yeah, I think, the common theme through these songs that we've talked of, of older songs is the reason I like them is because of the, the reaction they get live and, and the, the staying power they have in our career as, as live performers. Like, like we couldn't play a show and not play those three songs. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's cool. Again, how some of those things that weren't originally meant to be, you know, kind of get a whole different life because of circumstances that you can't really foresee. So, that's a yeah. really unique thing about music. Let's move on to uh, the last two songs. So we finally get to, to talk about Brain Pain, which was released in 2020 and then re-released uh, again in 2021 as a deluxe album. So I remember being super hyped for this album. It had been a, you know another long wait in between albums, and so the anticipation was high, especially after the singles you guys had released. Um, how had you guys grown as musicians and as a band since uh, the last album? What were you kind of hoping to accomplish on Brain Pain? Oh man, we had a lot of high hopes for Brain Pain. We were, for the first time in a long time, the whole band was just like really excited to play music. And I, maybe it's because we subconsciously knew we weren't going to be able to for two years after it came out. Mm. <laughs> but um, when we when we first started writing for the album, we just we we tried something new. Like when we were. Any other album we write, we're very specifically writing for the album. You know, it's like we got to write a four year strong song. So if we're writing a song that doesn't feel like it's quite fitting, we'll 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 shove it aside and be like, ah, that wasn't good. Let's move on to the next idea and do some guitar riff that we feel like feels like a four year strong song. And if it doesn't, you know, move on to the next. For the first time ever, when we were writing Brain Pain, we were like, no rules. Let's just write. Let's write a song that sounds like freaking Death Cab for Cutie or Nine Inch Nails or Taylor Swift or, you know, whatever we were inspired by in that moment um, to write. And that was just like the greatest exercise we could have done because a lot of that ended up becoming a lot of the cool moments on the album because we were just like feeling inspired again we weren't doing what we felt like we had to do we were doing what we wanted to do and finding ways to do it in the foyer strong way because really we knew that was still in us you know we just had to find the excitement of what it was like to you know before rise dry trying we were just writing what we wanted to do we didn't have an audience that had any expectation or anything like that and we were kind of trying to find that by just having fun writing instead of having it be like stressful and 
Yeah, I don't know what you you didn't you didn't say what song is the first of the two. Yeah, yeah, I just we'll, we'll get to that. I just had some. I just wanted to kind of talk about the the creative process for this album because I mean this was my my favorite album of 2020, and I go back to it all the time. And so I, yeah, I'm just curious to some of the creative stuff around this. So maybe you kind of just answer this question, but you know it's no secret that you guys are very influenced by 90s alternative music. You know you just mentioned some of those bands. I mean you did a whole covers album of of 90 songs, which is awesome. I feel like you guys really leaned into some more of those influences on this album, like you just said, you know, but it still feels very four year strong. And I always love when a band can kind of glean from their influences but still sound original, kind of like we were talking about at the start. Um, so, kind of how did those influences impact the creative process of this album? Um, you know, was it just giving you that freedom to, to kind of do whatever? Because um, it, it does feel a little bit more heavier on those influences, you know, versus the last few albums. And so I was just mm-hmm. curious as if to kind of how that all kind of came about. Well, yeah, I mean, we definitely did lean into it. And I think an example, I don't know if it was one of the, I don't really remember which songs I told you of the five, but um, one, for example, is um, Learn to Love the Lie was like a song we wrote that didn't have any of the like four year strongness that is is in the final version it was all like breakbeat kind of drums like it we, it sounded like a 90s pop rock song when we when we originally wrote it because that's what we wanted to do and all we had to do was like now let's throw some like heavy ass guitars and like real drums and all this stuff and it became a four year strong song. It's like, it's like, it's almost like we know now that we can just write any song we want to write in any genre and just like, Oh yeah, let's just do whatever four year strong would do for that. You know, throw a little guitar riff on top of it and things like that. And we've kind of figured out how we can, how we can do that by writing a song that like, is in a genre that like we feel like we would like to listen to right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think you guys did that really well. And it's, it's, I'm excited to see kind of how that expands, you know, for the next album, if there is, or, um, so you guys released a deluxe version of this album last year, you know, was this always the plan to do this or was this kind of a, you know, a COVID thing trying to keep people engaged and put content out there? Yep. That was out of desperation because of COVID. It was always, you know, a plan, to do at some point probably because we knew we had a couple b-sides from the yeah. album um but definitely weren't planning on doing it a year later <laughs> um and um uh, but yeah we had a couple more songs that we had recorded in there which picking what songs were going to be on the album was insanely hard because even those mm. two songs are t- two of my favorite songs yeah that were written you know all and it's weird to talk about liking your own music, and I think it's kind of oh, lame. That's great. I think I'm allowed to because COVID stole it from me a little yeah. bit. <laughs> um, but I'm just super proud of that album, and, and and a lot of it was because of how much fun it was to make. Like Dan and I, um, for a lot of years, did not have fun writing songs together, mm. but just felt like we had to. And I'm not just speaking for myself. I'm sure he would say the same thing. Yeah. Um, and this was the first time in a long time that we like thoroughly just had a great time when we were on the same page about everything. And, and Joe and Jake were, you know, a lot more involved and 
and also excited, not just like showing up. All right, what am I doing? Okay. Okay. See ya. Um, and through the process of truly enjoying making the album has now just made everyone excited to be in the band again. And then of course, follow that up with two years of nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I really love the acoustic and, and the uh, remix versions too. I'm always amazed, you know, how well some songs can translate into different styles. And you know, yeah, of course the unreleased songs are a treat. Uh, my, my favorite of those songs is that bittersweet symphony it just has such a big anthemic sound and, and includes some different dynamics that I love. And yeah, there's, yeah, those, those are great unreleased songs. So it's a treat for us as, as fans and listeners to, to get a deluxe album with, with that stuff on it. Yeah, thanks. There's a lot of fun stuff on there. Plus, I mean, the artwork is so awesome that it's cool to you know have a different version of that. That was also my favorite artwork of that year. And uh, I actually just... Uh, so I, I'm kind of done ordering merch online. So I live in Canada, and shipping is just like horrendous. And so I just always catch myself like, oh, I just want to buy band merch, and then the shipping is so much. And anyways... I had COVID a few weeks ago, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to order some bad merch. And so I did get a four-year strong brain pain shirt that I've wanted uh, for a number of years. So pretty stoked on that. <laughs> I love that artwork. But yeah, let's uh, let's get to uh, to some of these songs off this album. So the first one you picked is It's Cool. <laughs> Wait. 
vividly remember the day Brain Pain came out. So I ride my bike year round, and on this day, you know, I was I was going to be rocking this album. It's crazy cold where I live in January, so it was a cold bike ride that morning. And I remember instantly just having the biggest smile on my face when this song started. And, you know, especially when the full band comes in, you know, I was just immediately hooked. I love the dynamics of this song, the energy that comes with it, and it's got one of the sweetest breakdowns in pop punk, so that's, that's awesome. What, how, what, how did this song come together? Why does it stand out to you? And uh, what do you remember about uh, the, the creative process for It's Cool? Um, it was a, it was a lot, that song kind of took on a lot of forms. Um, it was originally written in, I think in Brazil or somewhere in South mm. America. Um, the riff, the that whole intro riff. Yeah, so cool. Um, was written, and I think I have a voice memo of it on my phone of me like, like playing it just on my guitar backstage, like not through an amp or anything. So just yeah. like this really crappy recording. And, and then me and Dan made like a crappy garage band demo of it in a hotel room. But it was really just that one riff. Um, and then fast forward to another tour in, in the U.S. is when we were trying to, you know, doing a little bit more writing. I had this idea of making that riff just like a really long intro where it was just like just this riff over and over and over and over. Um, kind of stolen from a friend of ours. I don't know if he knows this, but Kurt Ballou, the producer who did... Um, uh, self-titled. Yeah. yeah, he he plays in the band Converge. Yeah, Converge has this song called Plagues, which is the heaviest song ever, and it's they used to open their sets with it, and it's just the most amazing guitar sound. It sounds like freaking chainsaws. It's the greatest thing. Um, and uh, little secret: the working title of this song was Plagues because no. I was like, <laughs> you gotta have a thing like Plagues. And it was just like, you know, we did our version of it. Um, and, and yeah, it just, it, it was, it was another version of that. Like, okay, four years strong probably wouldn't do this, but let's just see where it goes with the clean guitar, which was just a guitar line at first. And then it turned into like, Oh, what if we just follow that for the vocal? Um, because there again, there was no vocals written for that whole mm. intro of the song until way later. But we knew the melodic movements and how everything was working. Uh, and then that end breakdown um, came when we were like, "The song has to go somewhere." Because it's it was an interesting st- song for us because we've always kind of stuck to your basic pop song structure of you know intro verse pre-chorus, chorus, verse two, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge, chorus, outro, whatever. Um, and now we had this like minute long guitar intro thing and and it, nothing really repeats and it's kind of just going and we didn't have like the big chorus moment. Most of our songs are like, and here's the chorus and it's yeah. this big thing and this didn't have that. So we're like, but what, so what's the payoff? And we're like, I guess we got to, do some big heavy outro <laughs> so i don't remember how we came up with the the weird um 
like syncopation on right. it. But but in hindsight, it wasn't like this on purpose. But I realized if you were to turn it into a shuffle instead of a metal breakdown, it's uh, is it Susanna or Rosanna Toto? Um, going all the way. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take me all the way, because the the you know it's I don't know. Yeah, well, I love. I mean, it it adds such a good dynamic to the song, and especially this is for your strong and you know, it just kind of makes you anticipate what's kind of coming next. So I, I love when, when songs do that. The next one that you picked was get out of my head.
this is one of those songs that really takes me back to some of those 90s influences that I mentioned. You know, it's ridiculously catchy. It has its own sound. I love that main riff so much. Um, with this one, what do you remember about uh, the creating and writing of this song and kind of how it came together? Well, that song has a particularly special place in my heart because it was the very first song that we wrote. Oh, that's awesome. So, well, it's, I don't know if it's the first thing we wrote, but it was the first song that felt like a finished thing where Dan and I both went, this is definitely on the album. Like, this yeah. is this is it. That was like the beginning of writing what really felt like writing brain pain, not just like demoing songs, you know? Right. Um, and yeah, I love the riff too, because it was like a, a challenge in trying to do something simple, you know, like, like we, we love, we love guitar riffs that are like complicated and, and melodic and stuff like that. But we also love, you know, punk and grunge songs from the nineties yeah. that like the chords of the song was the riff. You know, like Nirvana songs don't. It's not like there's a riff. It's the the power yeah, chords sure. are the is the riff. Yeah. Same thing with like old Green Day songs. It's like, it's not like these chord progression with a with a lead riff on top of it, which is what we typically do. It was like no, the whole thing is this fucking simple driving repetition of this one thing. You know, we we're. I mean, we we're kind of influenced by like freaking Limp Bizkit break stuff. Or like uh, Green Day Brain Stew, you know, like like just these really straightforward riffs that just stick in your head. And yeah, it was it was a it was a really fun song to write and just kind of shaped what was to come for the writing process, I think. Yeah, and that's cool that this was the first one because it, I mean, it sounds like Free or Strong, like you said, it's, you know, it doesn't have some of those elements that people might expect. So when you guys wrote this, you know, as the first one, was it like, okay, this album's, you know, really going in a different direction or it was just, you know, this song is kind of as it is and we'll kind of see what else comes? Like, did it make you feel like you had to shift in one direction or another or it was kind of its own thing? No, it was just kind of its own thing. And again, that was the fun part of writing this album was just like no rules like that was that was that song now what else can we do yeah you know we didn't feel like okay well that's the sound of this album so we got to just keep doing that because that that would have been because it's kind of a i don't know if you'd call it a mid-tempo song but like if the whole album felt exactly like that that song wouldn't feel special and neither would the rest of the album yeah so we just want kept wanting to do different things um, but that song again, yeah, I, I particularly love because it was what helped shape the album to start, but also because it is probably my number one favorite song to play live now. Mm. Um, because it's just so it, the headbanging opportunity is just so great, yeah, and, and it's. <laughs> we've always had really like really complicated fast vocals and and stuff so like i feel like and because we have dueling vocals and so that means it's even harder for one person in the crowd to actually be singing because yeah. it's supposed to be two people <laughs> there's not enough air in someone's lungs to do all this so we don't always necessarily hear a crowd singing really loud through through 
all the loud amps on stage and stuff like that. But, you know, with something as simple as get out of my head, that whole thing, all of a sudden, the very first time we played the song live, we were like, holy crap, people are singing that part. You know, like we luckily got to play eight shows on that album before COVID shut everything down. And it was probably the greatest eight shows we've ever played Hmm. as for the first time in our entire career, we've always kind of been a band that people just want to hear their favorite old song live. Like the new songs are always like what the crowd has to get through to get to the next thing before they hear their favorite song, before they hear freaking it must really suck or wasting time or something. Um, But for the first time ever in our career, the highlight of the set were all of the new songs. Oh, that's so cool. And it felt so good. And, and, and get out of my head was definitely a highlight because you only had to hear the song a couple times to know the chorus. Yeah. You know? yeah that, that, that's what's so special about it. I mean, it's, it might seem like an easy thing to just come up with something, but I mean, every artist is trying to write something that's going to immediately catch on. So that's, that's yeah, amazing. And, and again, it's, it's outside the box for what we would do because it, I do. I kind of remember when we were writing it, we were like, is this really the chorus? Is this too simple? Like we would normally add, you know, a thousand words to a chorus because right. felt like it has to, we, there's a period of time where we thought catchy meant like, like rappy and tongue twist. Right. But, um, but yeah, it just, that song is just so much fun to play live. It's, it's really been standing out as, as a, as a, great song in the set yeah yeah that's awesome well, i'm excited for you guys to hit the road here soon and get that opportunity to play that and yeah so in closing yeah. um hey you guys are doing a tour with newfound glory and be well and i gotta say i'm a, a little um annoyed that it's not coming to canada but i get that uh, Sorry, it's not my fault yeah i know <laughs> well hopefully you guys will make it up here uh sometime soon because it's been a long time since you guys have been to saskatchewan which is uh where i'm from but yeah, um, what what does uh, the the year hold for for four years strong? What can uh, people be on the lookout for besides this upcoming tour? Um, well, we do have some other plans that I can't quite talk about yet, but there are more touring plans, um, and some other exciting stuff that I can't talk about yet. Um, maybe some new music, maybe some exciting other stuff. Who knows? Yeah. But there's a, there's a lot of stuff in the works right now, um, which is exciting, stressful, all all kinds of things. Yeah, but for it, sure. We got a lot we got a lot going on, but it, none of it really starts until you know this new fun tour, and then the rest of the year is like going to be kind of crazy for us. Yeah. Um, which is exciting because we had again we had two years of like just fucking waiting to be able to do something. And we did that state champs tour in the fall, which was great, but it still had COVID effects. Right. You know, like uh, ticket sales were okay, but on top of that, even when there was good sales, people who bought tickets weren't even showing up. Mm. And people who like didn't know that you had to have a proof of vaccination to get in were getting yeah. turned away at the door. And, it, and 
the routing was so crazy on the tour because it was so hard to get holds at venues. And then next thing you know, we're, we were on the road for five weeks and we had two weeks of shows off like Mm. throughout, which is just way too much time off. Yeah. You know, especially as you know, I don't have kids, but Dan has two kids, um, to be away for two whole weeks that you could be at home, you know, but, because it was scattered through the tour. It's like one show, two days off, two shows, three days off, you know? So there was all these things that still like COVID affected it in a negative way. And I'm really hoping that by May, when we go out on this next tour, that will have fizzled and it'll be back to normal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, I hope it's an awesome year for you guys, and I hope I get to see you at some point. But, yeah, Alan, I really appreciate you taking the time to share about these songs and, and the history and the band. This has been uh, yeah, a dream for me to, to have you on the podcast, so thanks so much for being willing to do it. No problem. Thanks for having me.